0: I doubt you can think of somebody whose voice you'd rather have hear such epic battle read to you than Jared Nolan. Thank you, Jared. (laughs) Do you ever wonder how you can know the will of God? I know I'm not the only one who's been kept up at night thinking about that question, what is God's will for my life? A A lot of Christians feel lost when it comes to knowing the will of God. Uh, This is something that countless books have been written about, and that makes sense. Life is complicated, and it can be difficult to know at any given moment what the best thing to do is. But from time to time, we read the scriptures and catch a glimpse of truths that are so bright, so clear, and so glorious that they answer the question for us, what God wants for our lives. If you would open with me to Matthew 6, I think we're going to see one of those passages today. So please open with me to Matthew 6. We once again find ourselves in the Lord's Prayer, which I'll read for you beginning in verse 8, and um, what we're going to focus on today, though, is verse 10. So beginning, I apologize, beginning in verse 5, we'll read through the Lord's Prayer, and then we will focus today on verse 10. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So again, we'll focus today on verse 10, where Jesus teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the truth that we see from Jesus here is that we must fervently pray that God's reign would fill the world as we joyfully embrace God's reign in our lives. Okay? We must fervently pray that God's reign would fill the world as we joyfully embrace God's reign in our lives. That's the idea that Jesus is communicating here. And this truth is like a bright star that helps us find our way when we don't know what God would have us do. There is no day in which you will wake up and think, if I will do the will of God in my life as it is done in heaven, if I will seek that his kingdom and his reign would spread, by the end of the day I'll be confused what he wants me to do. No. That's exactly what he wants you to do. That's the will of God for your life. And as we continue exploring the Lord's Prayer, remember that Jesus teaches us that the Father is pleased with prayer that is genuine and that comes from the heart. This is what he said. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't be self-focused. Be God-focused. Christian prayer is prayer that approaches God the Father through Christ. It's for his eyes only. It's for his glory, not our own. That's how Jesus sets up the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has shown us in the Sermon on the Mount that only those who are poor in spirit, who know that they have nothing to bring to God for their salvation, they have no righteousness of their own, only they are those who, trusting in Jesus, can come before the Father. God makes them new and changes their character so that their lives increasingly reflect the life of their Savior in all of his righteousness and holiness. The Father loves them. He cares for them. And here Jesus teaches us how to come before such a good Father and relate to him. Most people enter the presence of God with a list of requests. That is common. But Jesus teaches us to pray differently. He teaches us to come not first seeking requests for things that we need or the things that people in our lives need, but he teaches us to begin by exalting God's name and praying that that he would be honored. This is the kind of prayer that pleases the Father, prayer that is oriented toward him, prayer that seeks to glorify him. And when you pray that way, when you pray for his glory, that clarifies everything in your life. It it reorients your vision. And that's the first petition of the Lord's Prayer that the Father's name would be hallowed. And when we focus on God and his glory, it moves us to desire something specific. It moves us to desire that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to know how to pray well and how to live well, you need to embrace the kingdom of God. You need to embrace the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, remember back to when Jesus began his ministry. He came Preaching the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is important because it has everything to do with whether your sins are forgiven and you're reconciled to God, or whether your sins are not forgiven and you're alienated from God. And this raises at least two questions. First, what is the gospel? It's been said that if you ask 10 Christians in any 10 churches throughout America what the gospel is, you'll get 10 different answers. And that may not be far from the truth. The gospel is so closely related to the kingdom of God that scripture sometimes refers to it as the gospel of the kingdom. Now, if someone asked you to share the gospel with them right now, could you do it? Could you give them an explanation, a basic explanation of the gospel? Could you answer the question that somebody once asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you're a Christian... The gospel is something that should be so much part of your daily meditation, so much part of your prayers, that you would be ready to share it in a moment's notice. So here is the gospel. And if you're here and you don't know whether your sins are forgiven, listen, this is it. This is what God has done to save sinners like you and sinners like me. It starts with God who is holy, righteous, and good. He is exactly the kind of ruler and the kind of king that we've always wanted. There is no injustice in his kingdom. His reign is perfect. There is only one God, and he is the Father who is in perfect unity with his eternal Son and who created all things through him by the Holy Spirit. And this one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is the perfect God. He's a perfect King. And he created us in love to bear his image, to rule over the world on his behalf, To enjoy him, to know him, to love him, and to obey him as our king. To show by righteous lives his goodness so that the world might be filled with his glory. That's what we're for. But we have each of us declared our own sovereignty, which is sin. We have declared our rule in our lives, not his. And the wages of that sin is death. And as sinners who constantly rebel against this holy God, we're faced with a problem. See, he doesn't stop being good, and so he can't ignore evil. He doesn't stop being just, and so he has to punish it. And that means that each of us are justly condemned to hell for eternity. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, would not perish but have eternal life. The eternal Son of God became a man and lived the perfect life that you and I cannot. And though he was innocent and righteous, he stood willingly condemned in your place and mine so that his people's sins would be taken upon himself as he died on a cross and bore the Father's wrath in full, leaving nothing undone for our salvation. That is the gospel. That is what God did to save sinners like us. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures because he had made an end of not only his people's sins but also the death that is the penalty for sin. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is seated in glory with all authority and one day he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the way that that good news becomes good news for you is when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means turning from your allegiance to sin and embracing Jesus not only as the Savior who died for you, but as the King who has exclusive rights to your life. The Bible calls this repentance, turning from allegiance to sin to allegiance to the King. And believing the gospel means trusting That he died for you. That his work on the cross is finished for you. It means that you know that you cannot save yourself and that Jesus is your only hope. Which is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is holy. We are sinful. Jesus is the sinless Savior who died and rose again. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you? Do you? You must. Because there is no other way to be saved. You must believe in the gospel. And why? Well, because the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? It's the same kingdom that Jesus teaches us to pray when we pray, your kingdom come. How do we understand the kingdom of God, which is also referred to as the kingdom of heaven? And there's so much confusion on this point. That's another one where you can get 10 different answers from 10 different Christians. But simply put, the kingdom of God is God's reign as king. Okay, the most basic understanding and accurate understanding of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is God's reign as king. This is one of the major themes that runs throughout the whole Bible. And one of the ways that we can get to the heart of what it is is by looking at the words that God uses To call it the kingdom. And so in our Hebrew Old Testaments, one of the main words for kingdom is malchut. In the New Testament, in Greek, the primary word for kingdom is basileia. Both of these words refer not primarily to a realm, as in some kind of geographical place, though it can refer to that. No, it primarily refers to the rule or the reign of a sovereign, of a king or a queen. So think of Queen Elizabeth in Britain. She is the sovereign, in her kingdom, physically speaking, is Great Britain, but in a more basic sense, her, her kingdom is her reign. It's, it's her right to rule over Great Britain. That's Queen Elizabeth's kingdom. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, we need to think of it in terms of the reign of God, not primarily in terms of heaven and earth, the place, but in the right for God to sovereignly reign over heaven and earth. That's the kingdom of God. It's his authority to rule. God is king and his kingdom is his reign. And this is very important for us to understand if we're gonna grasp what Jesus is saying to us when he tells us to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We're praying that the reign of God would extend throughout the whole universe so that he is honored as the ruler as he should be. Then you might rightly ask, But God reigns over everything now, like we sing about it every week. So what do you mean to pray that his kingdom comes? Isn't it already here? And I was hoping you'd ask that question. It's a very good question. And yes, God does reign over everything now because he made everything and he owns it. He owns it. This is the first principle of economics that most people ignore. God owns everything Psalms 24 and verse 1 and 2, The the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. To whom does all this belong? It belongs to God. He, He rules over it. But there's another sense in which this world under the power of Satan is a kingdom of darkness. There is a sense in which, though God rules over everything by right, this world is under the power of darkness, and his kingdom is not acknowledged here as it should be. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. We are saved, Paul tells us in Colossians, as we're transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son, as we acknowledge Jesus as our king and submit to his reign. God is the sovereign king of the whole cosmos, but the world doesn't acknowledge his rule and reign. Look around. And so we pray, your kingdom come. We pray that people would embrace his reign in their lives. And so when, when does the kingdom come then? Okay, if we're praying that it would come, when does it come? Does scripture give us a, an indication of this? And thankfully, the church has been debating that question for, I don't know, 2,000 years. And we have the legacy of some really good work from some godly scholars that have helped us to see what the Bible means when it talks about the kingdom of God. Because again, this thing runs from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's a complex but understandable reality. And I want to make it as clear as I can for you so that you will rejoice in it, be confident in it, and embrace it the way that God would have you. And there's really an important phrase that you need to know if you want to understand the kingdom of God. It's three words, okay? Here they are. Already, not yet. already, not yet. I'm going to show you that the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet here the way that it will be. So we enjoy the kingdom of God now as his chosen people, and we pray and yearn for its coming in its fullness in a way that we do not yet see. Think about it like this. When I proposed to Jen, and she accepted my proposal, we were already committed to each other. Okay, there was a very real commitment in our engagement that would later become consummated in the commitment of marriage six months from then. We enjoyed exclusive commitment to each other at the moment we were engaged, but there was something we were planning, preparing, and yearning for that wasn't a reality at that point. Okay? The kingdom of God is similar. Or if you'd like, take the parable that Jesus uses in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So the kingdom of God is like that mustard seed. It's already planted, it's already growing, but it's not as big as it will be. The birds of the heavens haven't taken their uh, shade in its, uh, you know, they're not living in it the way that they will. It's a reality already, but it's not yet the fullness that it will be. And in your bulletin, I have four points to help you get at what you're praying for when you pray, your kingdom come. Hey, the first two are part of the already. The second two are the not yet. First, the kingdom came when Christ came in his first advent. Okay, the kingdom came when Christ came in his first advent. So Jesus is the prophesied Messiah, he is the King of the Jews, and when he came the first time, it wasn't with the fanfare and the pomp and the circumstance that the Jews were expecting of their Messiah, which is why so many of them were confused. They didn't understand that his first coming had to be one in humiliation, that he would die for his people's sins, that his second coming would be in the pomp and glory that they were expecting. But nevertheless, when Jesus came, the King had come. the King brought the kingdom, the reign of God, was here. To see Jesus was to see the king, and to receive him was to receive his rule. When Jesus was casting out demons, the Jewish leaders accused him of using satanic power to do it. Bad idea. Okay? Pastor John just preached about this a few weeks ago. And Jesus says something very important about the kingdom of God as Matthew records that incident. Jesus says, But if by the Spirit of God... I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Well, friends, when Christ came, he bound Satan. He defeated him at the cross and he's been plundering his house ever since by saving sinners into the kingdom. The kingdom of God came when Christ came. And when Jesus arose, he ascended to heaven where he was crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And just before his coronation in heaven, he gave his church the Great Commission to go into all the world and disciple the nations, proclaiming his lordship, proclaiming his gospel, and teaching them to live with Jesus as their king. And the basis of the Great Commission is how Jesus begins the Great Commission when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. Therefore go. Well, ever since that time, the kingdom has come also as the gospel is spread and received, all under the authority of Jesus. So the kingdom came when Jesus came, and the kingdom continues to come every time a rebel sinner bows the knee to Jesus, embraces him as Lord, and trusts in him alone for salvation. That's when the kingdom comes today. So listen to what Jesus says to some Pharisees who asked the question that we're asking now. This is being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them, "The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, "Look, here it is, or there." For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you." The kingdom of God has already come in Jesus, and it's gone everywhere. The gospel of the kingdom has been received in the hearts of those who believe. Friends, look around. The kingdom of God is here. It's in this sanctuary. Every single redeemed saint banded together in this, this church, Sun Valley Church, is an outpost of the kingdom in the midst of a world that has not yet received the rule of Jesus, When Jesus teaches us to pray your kingdom come, he's teaching us, friends, to be mission-minded. He's teaching us to be mission-minded. If you wanna pray the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, if you wanna pray in a way that pleases the Father, then pray that his name would be honored throughout the world as the gospel spreads. Pray that Christ would send out laborers into the ready harvest of this world. Pray that you would be obedient to open your mouth as God gives you opportunity at work, at school, Anywhere you go, be mission-minded. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for the people that they are seeking to reach with the gospel. This is to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come today, O Lord. That should be our prayer and our commitment. And anything less than that is not the Lord's prayer. So be praying regularly. Be praying daily. Be mission-minded the way that Jesus teaches us to be. That's the already of the kingdom. But don't stop there, okay? There's still a not yet aspect to the whole thing. And this is where if you, it might be helpful to actually draw a horizontal line in between number two and number three. Above the line, write already. Below the line, write not yet. That helps us keep this clear. When we pray your kingdom come, we're not only praying for it to come today through the preaching of the gospel, but we're praying for the coming of the kingdom when Christ returns. When Christ returns. And this is what sometimes gets called the millennial kingdom. And it's called the millennial kingdom because it's the kingdom that Jesus reigns over on earth when he returns at his second advent. And so in the scripture reading just before the sermon, Jared told us about this kingdom. In Revelation 19, he read to us about the return of the king. In Revelation 20, we saw his kingdom set up, where he raises from the dead all those who are his, and then he reigns with them for a thousand years. That's where the term millennium comes from. Jesus will reign on the earth in a kingdom that will be filled with peace and prosperity as the nations come to worship the one true God. And that is the first movement of the not-yet kingdom. That's the first movement of the not-yet part of the coming kingdom. And then the final answer to the question of when the eternal kingdom comes is when death is destroyed. It's when death is destroyed. This is what's also called the eternal kingdom. The millennial kingdom will give way to the eternal kingdom when death is no more. Satan, sin, sinners cast into the lake of fire forever who would not bow the knee to Jesus. That is when the eternal kingdom comes. So throughout the millennial kingdom, Satan is bound, yes, okay, but we're told in Revelation 20 beginning in verse 7, like Jared read to us, that Satan will be released at the end. He will lead one final rebellion. It does not go well for him. Jesus will squash it, and then the eternal kingdom will come. And that's when the, the prayer, your kingdom come, will be answered completely and finally. That is the final answer, the yes and amen to your kingdom come. And that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 15 talks about in the passage we meditated on just before the service. For as in Adam, Paul says, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, okay, He, he rose. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It will be destroyed. The kingdom of God has already come with Christ and the spread of the gospel, Okay? And it will come when Christ returns and when he defeats death and delivers the kingdom to the Father for all eternity. That, my friends, is what we pray for when we pray your kingdom come. It's a rich prayer, and it's a good prayer. And it's the kind of prayer that we've seen from Scripture just now will be answered. If you don't like to be frustrated in prayer, well, why does not God ever answered my prayers? Start praying this, okay? You'll get your answer, guaranteed. Fervently pray that God's reign would fill the world, now and forever. And then go live accordingly, and you will know the will of God. And this leads us to the third petition in the Lord's Prayer, which is connected with the idea of God's reign, with God's kingdom. Think about this. Whenever you read a book or see a movie that focuses on a kingdom, what typically happens in those kingdoms? The will of the king, right? And if it doesn't, then the whole story is about how will the kingdom end up, you know, following the will of the king. So sometimes it gets said, your wish is my command. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, this third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking that the commands of God would be obeyed here as they are obeyed in heaven. See, when Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done, he has in mind the will of God as he reveals it in his word. That's what he wants us to pray for. He's given us his word. In it, he's given us his commands, which is his will for our lives, and we're praying that his will, as revealed in his word, would be obeyed. Now, someone might be thinking, well, isn't there a different kind of will of God called his secret will? And the answer is yes, there is. There is a will of God in, in the sense that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 that all things happen according to the counsel of his will. The secret will of God is his will that he's not revealing to us. The only way we know it is by reading our history books. It is God's rule and sovereign reign in everything that happens. All things come to pass according to the counsel of his will. Okay, that's a secret will. Okay, that is not what Jesus is focusing on here when we're praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's sovereign secret will is always done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? His revealed will, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, that's disobeyed every day in our own homes, in our church, in the world. Jesus is specifically thinking of the revealed will of God that comes to us in his commands. Now this is the will of God that's done perfectly, joyfully, immediately, enthusiastically in heaven. There's not an angel or a saint in heaven that is rebelling against the will of God. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. The angels obey. God says, go, they go. He says, do this, they do it. There's no delay. There's no grumbling. There's no complaining. There's no half-hearted, half the job is done. They do it. That's the picture of the will of God that we want done here. That is when... His kingdom is manifest in its fullness. We yearn for it. We must pray for it. Right now, you can look in the mirror. You can look at your family. You can look at your friends. You can look at the world and see that God's will is not done perfectly. His commands are ignored. Sins run rampant. The devil is alive and well. Somewhere in the ballpark of one in five American babies are murdered through abortion every year. Russian forces are killing citizens of the sovereign nation of Ukraine. And much is not as it should be. And so we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a good prayer for such a time as this. And there's two ways that that prayer is answered. Once again, there's an already and there's a not yet. The first, the already, is that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven as the gospel is received and obeyed. (laughs) Just like the kingdom. Wherever the kingdom goes, where it's received and obeyed, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Whenever a sinner embraces Jesus Christ as Lord, God's will is done. He commands repentance and obedient faith, and his people say, Jesus is Lord. They follow him. Whenever the kingdom of God goes in the hearts of his people, obedience follows. Not perfect obedience, okay, but genuine, growing obedience. And so Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Well, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in every single person in the sanctuary who belongs to Christ. And he's at work to grow you in obedience to his will, so that you here on earth are increasingly doing his will as it is done in heaven. When we pray for his will to be done on earth, we pray that we would obey his word and spread his gospel, so that others would embrace his will also. But we also pray for God's will to be done when Christ returns, and nations bow. And friends, when this happens, this is when his will will yet be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the not yet part, okay? So the worship service began today with a reading Psalm 2 together. Psalm 2. What are the nations doing at the beginning of Psalm 2? They're raging. They're seeking to throw off the reign of God. And God gives them some very compassionate counsel. He says, be warned, I I have a king, my son. I've set him on Zion, my holy hill. He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, which is exactly what Revelation 19 says he does. And before that day comes, don't miss it. Because you do not want the rod of iron bowing your stiff neck before Jesus. You want to do it willingly and joyfully. The nations will bow when Christ returns and all the peoples with him who believe in him, and all the peoples here who do not, well, it will not go well, because they rejected the King of Kings. Now we need this good news, friends, when we look around today, because today the Prime Minister of Canada may rule as a tyrant, but on the day when Jesus returns, Justin Trudeau will bow in homage, and may he believe the gospel before that day today the president of russia may attack ukraine as an invading assailant but when putin faces the king of kings all his money will be worth nothing he will bow and may he believe the gospel before that day today the leaders of the united states and many other nations may call evil good and good evil but when jesus returns they will be called to account and they will give an account to the one who charged them with doing good in his name pray for our president our governor, our leaders to embrace the gospel before that day and tell them because if it won't be his church, how will they know? When Jesus the king returns, all nations will bow before him all over the world. Friends, okay, this is the key to the news. All over the world, the problems that are playing out, they're theological problems and theological problems have theological answers. What's the answer? Jesus is king. Jesus is king, amen. Amen. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so pray for it. But as you do, don't forget that the most searching part of that prayer must be that God's will would be done in your life as it is in heaven. Friends, it's easy to look outside at the problems and to pray that God's will would be done in them. It is less easy with an open heart and humility before God when you're alone in prayer and the word to genuinely pray, Lord, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Because when you pray that prayer, everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. When you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not just some words that you utter and then you're magically saved. No, it is the confession of a heart that has decided to die to self. Jesus says, whoever would follow me must die to himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the commitment of somebody who says, Lord Jesus, even if it costs me my life, you are king and I will follow. I don't have the strength to do that, but would you give me the strength? It's the same strength for which Jesus prayed as he agonized in the garden before, as he sweat drops of blood to go to the cross so that you could confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The Savior who agonized and said, Lord, your will be done if this cup cannot pass. He drank that cup with the strength that God supplied so that you could follow him and take up your cross and know that he is worth it. He is worth it. So what part of your life are you yet reigning over? What part of my life have I still held on to the declaration that Rick Whitmer is Lord of? You know what it is. You know what it is. Because it's the thing the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of. Perhaps it's that you've never believed the gospel. What do you do? Embrace the gospel. Embrace the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ today and know him as your saving king. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's that anger problem that you haven't quite seen. It's enough of a problem to address with God seriously. Perhaps it's your parenting or your pornography. Maybe you're refusing to treat your siblings or your spouse in a way that shows that Jesus Christ is king. Are you joyfully embracing God's reign in your life and praying for his will to be done? Okay? Open the word of God to see what he says to you and then determine with his help to do it. And I promise you won't be sorry. That's a determination that nobody has ever regretted. It doesn't mean that things will be easy. Initially, they may be very hard, but friends, we've seen the end of the story. Jesus is coming. He shall reign from one end of the earth to the other, and all will be as we long for it to be now. So fervently pray that God's reign would fill the world as you joyfully embrace God's reign in your life. He's worthy of it. You were made for it. And you'll never be happier than when you live with Jesus as your king. And as you do, declare his kingship to the rest of the world. Because friends, this is a party that's the more the merrier. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May it be honored in all the world as it should be. Your kingdom come. We praise you for the way that your kingdom has come to Sun Valley Church. The very fact that there is a Sun Valley Church is evidence that you have answered this prayer from generations past, that you are continuing to answer it every day as sinners are brought into the kingdom. And we pray, Father, your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. May we be a church that labors for that day. May we labor for it by sharing the gospel of the kingdom with those who do not know it. May we pray and labor and be willing to be uncomfortable so that sinners might know that there is hope. Everywhere we look, It seems that things go from bad to worse, and yet we know that you are Lord of all of it. And the day is coming where you will rule the nations with a rod of iron, where peace and prosperity will flourish. Jesus, we want that day. Help us to be ready for it. We lay all of this before you and pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.